Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. So can I invite you to open up a Bible with me? And uh, you can open it up to the second half if you are kind of new to this Christian thing. The second half of your Bible is called the New Testament. And the fifth book after these historical accounts of the life of Jesus is a book called Acts. And we are in chapter 4. So Acts chapter 4, we are continuing in our series called Real Christianity, as the book of Acts tells us, this historical account of the early church, the early Jesus followers. And this book of Acts, I think, invites us to real and impactful Christian faith. And so last week we left off... Uh, as we spoke about miracles, and that was challenging, I think, and it is a beautiful invitation to a life lived with expectation, and we see the first time that the Holy Spirit works through Peter and John to heal someone, and man, on Wednesday, we had such an awesome community group. We were wrestling, and we were arguing, and we were ministering to one another, and this week, we're going to see what happens right after that. After this healing, what's the very next thing that happens in this narrative of the early church? But maybe just to set the stage, in my early 20s, I remember this moment, um, I was at a Christian camp, I was already a Christian at this stage, and I sat around the campfire one evening with a bunch of other young men, and the topic of conversation was, what is your greatest fear in life? What is your greatest fear in life? And I'll never forget this moment, it's seared into my mind as I see one of my good friends and the moment that he had something to say, it was, his, it was his time with absolute earnest authenticity. He said, my greatest fear in life is that at the age of 50 or 55 or 60, I would look back and say, you know what? My faith used to be bold and courageous and exciting. And today it's timid and it's nice and it's nominal. And I pray a bit before I eat. And I go to church every second or third week. And it's nice. Now, why does that resonate with us? This fear of saying, God, I don't want the best days of my faith to be somewhere in my teens or 20s or 30s. And the reason for it is because in general, boldness and courage and excitement... What does it do? It stirs us. When someone is passionate about something, what does it do? It moves us. Think about a hobby that you've picked up or think about something that you've seen in someone else's life. Timidity and just a kind of nominal commitment. You know, I had a maths teacher that was really not excited about maths. And it really put me off of maths for a long time until I had a teacher in high school that lived and breathed passionately maths, and that's a thing. Um, I never got that passion, but that stirred me. It moved me. And if I can be honest, you know, if I think as a, as a young man, the, the, the men in my life who shifted me in my thinking with regard to what Christianity is, they were not necessarily a bunch of pastors who worked for the church. They were normal men in the church who served God, not in perfection, but with bold passion. I think of one man in our church, he was a teacher, and he will admit that he's got a terrible singing voice. Just one of those, he'll, he'll go and stand right in the corner when we worship, but he 
passionately as a husband and a father and as a teacher, he would worship Jesus unashamedly on a Sunday. And one Sunday, he felt a word, never done that before. He felt Jesus saying that he should come and sing a chorus of a song over the mic in front of the whole church. And you could see in that moment, he was, he was frightened. And with bad voice and all, he starts singing this chorus in the church. And I'm telling you, the presence of the Holy Spirit fell on that place like a ton of bricks. I think of of another man. He was and is a hand surgeon, deeply qualified man. But once when we house sat for them, I saw that in his study, you just saw journal upon journal upon journal, probably 30 or 40 of them stacked like this, of just his time that he invests with Jesus in the Word. Just writing down, here's a deeply qualified man, but a deeply passionate man when it comes to Jesus. I think of a man in our church. He was a a very gifted businessman, very affluent man. But when there was a building project launched in the church, he felt God say to him that he had to sell his car and invest the money into the building project. So for months, this affluent man bummed rides with people in the church because he lived a bold life faith. And my very simple question to us this morning is this, what is God's picture for your life? What would it look like if you gave yourself fully, almost recklessly to Jesus, not for a couple of years, but for the rest of your life? What would that look like? So let's read, as John and Peter see this man healed miraculously, the very thing that happens next is Acts chapter 4 verse 1. And it says, while they were still speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and they took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. And after they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them, by what power or in what name have you done this? And then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man and by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you boulders, which has become the cornerstone. And there, when he observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And so after they ordered them to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves, saying, what should we do with these men? For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in his name again. So they called for them and ordered them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
And Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you or rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after threatening them further, they released them and they found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. So just to there. Now, this is a long passage of Scripture, and it's dense, and it's amazing, and we're not going to get to most of what's in here today. But I just want to highlight maybe quickly for us three things, that in this obvious theme of boldness, what would it look like to live the fullest version of what God has over your life? We see three things. There is a reason for our boldness. What's, what's the reason for living a bold faith? We'll see something of the reaction to it. What happens when boldness grips us? And finally, what are the rhythms that actually bring this kind of boldness into our life? So number one, the reason for boldness. Why do we need a bold faith? And the answer is so simple we see in this text. Why? Because the city needs a bold church. The city of Twane needs a bold church. Highlight this in your Bible, verse 21. It says the people were what? All giving glory to God over what had been done. The people were giving glory to God. You know, the Bible goes out of its way to over and over and over make this point that every single person in the city of Tuana, every single person sitting here today, whether you are a, a Jesus follower or not, every single one of us, we are already giving glory to something. We are already worshiping something. We are already putting the fullness of our identity and our joy and our hope and our satisfaction into something. It can be money, it can be sex, it can be influence, it can be my career, it can be my spouse. All of us are giving glory to something. You know, I think of the original Rocky, 1976, Sylvester Stallone, pre a whole bunch of surgeries and still looking strong and sexy. And, you know, in this movie, he's about to go up against this, this unbeatable opponent, in Apollo Creed, and he says to his wife in this pivotal scene in the, in the movie that, you know what, this, no one has even ever gone 12 rounds with this man. And he says, I don't even care if I win. I don't even care if he splits my head open. All I want is that at the end of 12 rounds, if I'm still standing, I will know what? I will know that I'm not just a bum from the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm giving myself for the sake of identity and worth. Where I think of Russell Brand, the comedian and the actor, in his very, very forward autobiography, he writes and he says, you know what, my drug of choice was sex. It was the thing, and he writes this actually, he says that yes, it was recreational for me, but it was also my way of accruing status and validation. This was the, the thing that I built my identity on. Or I think of the other evening I was listening on SAFM and they had uh, a show where they spoke with an economist about the spending habits of students, university students. And he said that statistically so many university students go into deep debt for the sake of wearing nice clothes. And I know no one is feeling guilt at all this morning, any of the students. 
Why? And this person, this economist was putting two and two together. What? It's a status thing. It's an identity thing. It's a worth thing. All of us are already glorifying something. And the Bible comes out and says an unpopular thing repeatedly. It says these things, sex, money, status, your career, your wife, your good health. It says those are good things, but they are not God things. They are not weighty enough to carry the full weight of your soul's joy and satisfaction and identity. Good things, but crumbling because they are not God things. And so 1 John 5 verse 12 comes out and so beautifully opposes that when it simply says the one who has the son, Jesus, has what? Has religion? They are a better person. They've got some new rhythms in life. No, it says they have life. And conversely, it says the one who does not have the Son of God, what? Does not have life. Friends, do you hear that? This morning, you can have everything that you even think you want. You can have career or status or money or a bulging bank balance. You can have the things that you want and still not have life. When I read that, I immediately thought of C.S. Lewis. He's got the sermon called The Weight of Glory. And he says the following. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires. You know, people think Christianity is about, you know, encroaching on our desires. No, he says, God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because they cannot imagine what's meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, which we all want, amen. He says we are far too easily pleased. Christianity is not about restricting our desires. Christianity is about giving a vision of a fully realized desire. It's not about restricting, it's about enlarging what my soul genuinely wants. Everyone is glorifying something. And so that's why when Peter comes out and he says in verse 9, why is this so important in our city today if everyone is glorifying and worshiping something? He says in verse 9, you can highlight that first part when he says, if we are being what? Examined today about this good deed, then what? Verse 10, let it be known to everyone that what? That it is the name of Jesus that brings healing. It's the name of Jesus that brings freedom. It's the name of Jesus that is calling out to every person in the city saying, come and find life in me. What is Peter saying? He's saying we are being examined, friends. Can I speak to just the Christians this morning? If you are a Christ follower, whether silent or out there, Guess what? The friends and colleagues and family members and neighbors, they are examining. <laughs> Whether they agree with your faith or not, it's irrelevant. There's a, there's a looking, there's a listening. What is your faith about? Is it real? What's this whole Jesus thing? Does it actually make a difference in your life? And what we see Peter and John doing is they're saying, guess what? People will examine, but they need to be moved from just seeing and hearing some of your faith to what? To knowing. Let it be known. 
Jesus is not just meant to be seen from a distance. He's meant to be known in the depth of my heart. That's why Peter says in verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. Can you say a more unpopular thing in 2021? In our age, being intolerant is the greatest sin in the world. Intolerance is the sin of our age. And Peter says, I cannot help it. Jesus is the one. Do you know this? Can I just ask as an honest question this morning, friends? Do the friends and the colleagues and the family members and the neighbors, as I speak to myself, do they, those that are in your sphere of influence, do they know that Jesus is the only name? Do they know that? Has it gripped them? Friends, the city is crying out for a bold church. But what's the reaction to that? What happens when we live a, an out faith, a bold faith, a courageous faith? What's the reaction to boldness? Secondly, I'll just say it, friends. This is the truth. We've all seen it. We've all been there. A bored church and a busy church elicits no reaction from the city. In fact, people just, they just move on. It's a bold church that moves people. Why? Because if I'm bored with my faith, if the city sees that I'm uninterested, I'm unmoved, I'm apathetic in my faith, you know what they register automatically? Is that this Christian thing, your Jesus thing, it's just a nice weekend hobby that you have. It can't be life-changing because it doesn't even move you. <laughs> How will it move me? If we are bored in our faith, it doesn't even register on people's radars. Or what about the busy church, right? Again, we've been there. When every single eight nights of the week, we're busy with Christian things, and it's the choir, and it's the, the end times course, and it's the small group, and it's the Bible study, and it's the women's thing, and, and we're so busy with the things of God, investing and eating the Word and getting stuffed full of things, we never have the opportunity to actually get into the lives of the people around us. We are so busy and we are so bored. It's not making any difference in the lives of people. No, friends, it's a bold church that moves them. And what's the reaction? We see three reactions and this is the promise for you. If you were to say, God, I'm going to not live a private faith, but I'm going to live it publicly. There's a good chance you're going to encounter one of these three. The first is that some people will be, verse two, what? Annoyed with you. It's going to annoy some people. That's a fact. Or other people, it says in verse 17, what? They will even try and get you to stop. Just shut up about this Jesus. But why do we endure annoyance and even people opposing the belief that you have? Why? Because verse 4 says that there are people who will believe and will be transformed forever. Not going to a cloudy baby heaven one day, but today the promise is fully alive in Jesus. More alive than you've ever been. More human than you can ever imagine. The promise is not for then, the promise is now until then. There will be those when we live a bold faith in our home, in our office, between colleagues and friends and family that embrace this, that are intrigued by this. Maybe it starts with annoyance. Maybe it starts with, please, just, just shut up about this Jesus. But there comes a day 
when he becomes everything to me. And so can I just ask us, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask myself just again this question, honest question. Friends, is the good news gospel of Jesus that I live and that I speak of, is it bold enough that it even registers in the hearts of the people around me? Is there evidence in the court of Christianity that I can be caught out as a Christian? Does my faith even register in the hearts of people? You know, I, I, I'm not saying, watch this, don't. It's not a PG-13 movie at all. But this was the first example that came to mind. There's a movie called Crank with Jason Statham. Again, just erase the example from memory after this. But in this movie, he's poisoned and he has to keep his heart right at a certain place. Otherwise, he dies. Friends, that's a picture of the church. It's when the church has a heart rate that's so bold and courageous and exciting that those around me take note. Or are we just slowly just kind of, it's Sunday. Yay, mana, the songs, the guys, it's, we got to pray. It's time for the f- Guys, there's an invitation to say, let the heartbeat of our faith, of your faith, register deeply in the hearts of the people. And I know, I know there are at least two things that keep us from this. I feel it and you feel it. It's not, it's not being ashamed about this. It's being honest about it. The first thing is that let's be honest. I do this so often, especially because I'm a very private person, is we hide behind this idea of people will see my faith. I don't have to speak about it because people will see it. Friends, the reality is if I don't live boldly, there will be nothing to see. <laughs> It'll be like watching paint dry. Am I supposed to see something? What's happening? I've been looking at this wall for an hour. I'm not seeing anything. It's almost like telemarketers. You know, my wife and I, we have deep disagreements about how you should handle a telemarketer when they're on the phone. But I will tell you this, and you will agree with me, that a good telemarketer either deeply annoys you or they deeply shift you into something, right? Either they annoy the heck out of you or they sell you something, but nothing in between. You don't have like an, just like a, uh, you know, conversation with a telemarketer. I'm like, oh, you're wasting my time. Oh, yes, I want what you have. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is calling you and I to. But the second thing is I think many of us, again, speaking to myself, we have pre-decided that people will take offense. They're not going to like this. Guys, this is awkward. I'm not going to speak about this Jesus stuff. I work in an office with suits and like professional people. I have parents that have not served Jesus for decades of their life. I can't speak about this stuff. And so we just back away. And I just want to encourage us, friends, you are absolutely right. Some people will at times take offense. They will not be excited about what you're saying. And I want to just encourage us, prepare yourself for that. Steal yourself and step out. Gird your loins, as we say in English, and step out. Because some might be offended, but others will have their lives transformed forever. And if you have disappointments, guys, bring it into community. Let's speak in this space and in our community groups about the victories and the challenges of living a bold faith? Are we simply every Wednesday just speaking about the family aspect of family on mission? 
Or are we bringing those stories of, guys, I'm engaging with my friend, and it's incredible to see the breakthrough. Or, guys, it's deeply disheartening. This person, they don't want anything to do with my faith. Are we speaking about those things when we are together? Let's share our, our ups and our downs of a bold faith with each other. That's what the writers of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 23. He says, let's hold on to the confession of our hope, what, without wavering, with boldness. But he says, let's consider, verse 24, one another in order to what provoke love and good works. It's a strong word. I want to provoke Bosov to good works. I want to provoke Denil to good works. I want to provoke Younger to love and good works. So what he says, when you gather together, don't neglect that. Why? But encourage each other. When we get together, it's a time of worship and and song and fellowship. And on Wednesdays, when we gather together, it's a time of what? Stirring each other up to boldness. What's the vision that you have for my life? Does it match the vision that Jesus has for my life? What's the vision that I have for your life? Does it reach the heights of what Jesus has called you to? Friends, can I just say it? People in this city, they want Jesus. Maybe they, they don't even know it yet, but they want Jesus. And yes, they will rebuff you a couple of times. And so if you're saying, well, the people are not reacting. They, they're not reacting to, to what I'm trying to live and just trying to love them and be good to them and speak about my faith in a natural way. Well, guess what? Did you react the very first time? Think about your own journey to Jesus. Think about the, the steps that you took. It wasn't an immediate thing. There was a journey. And Jesus is saying, allow me to use you on that journey of faith for others. And so maybe just one practical thing with that is if you are in a space of just relationship with someone, every single time you sit down with them or you're at a braai with them, you're at the office with them, just have these two thoughts that the Holy Spirit can remind you of. As you see that person, just remember, God loves you and he loves them. God loves you, and he loves them deeply. So speak, so share, so love, so serve them. I mean, just the last thing before we go to the rhythms. It says in verse 1, it speaks about the priests and the Sadducees and all these people. What is it saying? They had a view. This whole Jesus thing that was starting up, the early church, it was an annoyance. Who are these people? These little ants just crawling around speaking about this Jesus fella. And I I want just maybe for a second just engage and say, God, what is the view of the people in our city with regard to Jesus? What's their view? Maybe they're saying, maybe if you're not a a Jesus follower here this morning, maybe you feel like, you know what? Christians, especially bold Christians, they annoy me. That's my view. They're annoying. (laughs) They're annoying in the office. They're annoying at family gatherings. Bold Christians annoy me. And I just want to say, listen, if, if you remember those engagements where Christians come and they shove the Bible down your throat and they judge mental and they, they bombastic, if I had the power, can I just say this morning, on behalf of Christendom, I apologize. Sometimes we have our foot in our mouths. Sometimes we're passionate but unwise. But can I just leave a thought with you? If that's where you are, you're like, man, ugh, Christians with their things. You know what the reality is? What those bombastic and overbearing Christians need is not less of Jesus, but more of Jesus. 
Why? Because they are fanatical about, you know, being overbearing and self-righteous and opinionated and intense and harsh, but they are not fanatical about humility and sensitivity and being loving and empathetic and forgiving and understanding as Jesus was. What our city needs is not less Jesus fanaticism, but more. A church that will not just imitate him, but follow him. So what are the rhythms then for that? If we say, man, our city is crying out for a bold church. What are the rhythms of of life? What are the rhythms of a Christian's walk with God that develops just greater and greater boldness decade in, decade out? And there are three quick things I just want to mention. There's a fourth, actually, that speaks in this passage about the of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of Jesus. But we're going to leave that for in two weeks' time when we speak about it, and we're going to create a space where we are going to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the three that I want to just show us quickly, these rhythms that take, almost like they take root in our life is when the gospel of Jesus becomes personal. It's when the presence of Jesus becomes non-negotiable. And it's when the mission of Jesus becomes critical a boldness arises. It's when the gospel of Jesus becomes personal. Listen to what it says in verse 10. This is shocking stuff. It says, let it be known to you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, what? Whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead. That is confrontational, friends. Peter is saying, has it registered in the depth of your heart that it is because of you that Jesus died. And that it is because of you and the love that God has for you that he raised him from the dead. You see, Christianity does not do well when it's this skin-deep betterment program that we follow on a Sunday. <laughs> it's not, it's, it doesn't do well when it's the Sunday show that we just attend every now and then. Christianity seeks to go to the very depth of the human soul, the very depth of human brokenness. It goes for the very nature of what humanness is about. And Peter says, there comes a day when I understand that the the good news of Jesus, the gospel is not that I'm just basically a good person and I just need a bit of a boost. I just need a bit of a leg up. Just a little bit of sprinkling of religion just to get through the day. No, the gospel of Jesus says that there is a depth of sin and brokenness and rebellion that I need to confront somewhere in my life that has removed me from the good plan and design of God. It's because of you that Jesus is on the cross. It's because of me. But he says, do you realize in the same breath the depth of the love that God has for you? Because it's for that that he came to this earth and that he was raised to life. Has your Christianity become deeply personal to you? Do I read every day in the Bible? Do I, do I search just in silence before him? Do I, do I spend time with people in conversation about the deeply personal nature of who Jesus is to me? Because Peter quotes here Psalm 118. And he says, Jesus has become this cornerstone. You know, cornerstone in architecture is the first stone that's laid. And every single stone and brick after that is laid in relation to the cornerstone. So what is Peter saying? He says, either fully reject Jesus, stumble over him, 
or fully realign your life according to him, but nothing in between. He says, either fully reject him as crazy, as a madman, as just some myth, but either that or fully realign your life to him. Because when faith is something that my parents practice or when it's something I grew up in or whether it's something I do out of guilt or I just serve at the church to soothe something that's broken in me, it doesn't take me far. But when there's this deep personal understanding of Jesus, it's because of you. And it's the love of God for me. It changes everything. Peter says this name, Jesus, is not our choice. It's given to us. Christians are not narrow-mindedly saying, we have the truth and everyone just bow before our wisdom. No, he's saying, this man is life and he's been given and I fall before him. He says, we must be saved. Have you come to that place this morning? Has Jesus become so deeply personal to you that he has upended everything in your life? That he's transformed every square inch of your existence? And just the two last ones, it's when the presence of Jesus becomes non-negotiable. This is so spectacular. It says, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John, and what they realized, they were uneducated and untrained. But what did they see in them? They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Guys, the city is not looking for a church that's even more educated and even better trained. Just 10 more years of evangelism courses and then, guys, just wait. We're going to take the city over. No, it's looking for a church that smells like Jesus, that looks like Jesus, that drips off just with Jesus, that is filled with Jesus, that's greatest desire is to pursue and know and be with Jesus. That's what changes You know, the reason is we tend to become like the people we spend most time with. Isn't that true? Jesus is not inviting you to a religious system. He's saying, come and find your life in me. Spend every day of your life in rhythm in my presence. The music I listen to, the the moments I spend, my time treasures and talents, the interactions I have, Jesus says, come and find yourself in my presence. Pursue my presence. Make it the greatest priority in your life. And decade and decade out, you will have a bold faith. You know, my eldest daughter, Abigail, she's not here, so I can say it now, but she, the last couple of weeks, I've just been sensing that wherever I sit, I can just be reading or doing something, and she'll just come and sit next to me and just put her legs just kind of on, on my legs. She's nine years old, and she just kind of flops down kind of over me. What do you think it is that she desires? She just wants to be with me. Now, I can say, no, 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 here's a book. Here's a pamphlet with facts about your father. Here's, you know, here's my autobiography. Let me, let me educate you even further. No, she just wants to be with me. A church that is with Jesus is a church that will boldly influence the city. Why? Because it makes all the difference. Verse 16, he says, you cannot deny it. I can disagree with your faith, but I cannot deny Jesus in you. When someone has been transformed and you see this growing humility, this growing, once in our community, we just spoke about what's the effect of Christ in your faith. And one of the young adult couples, the husband just said that I've sensed just this growing generosity in my life. It was never there before, but I'm just sensing it grow. I cannot deny that. 
My neighbor can say, I don't agree with your Jesus stuff, but I'm compelled by the Jesus in you. It's the presence of Jesus that makes all the difference. And verse 17, he says, what's this power? Where, where, are, you getting, where are you getting this? Friends, if today, if, you, if you're thinking, man, Joe is working us up today. He's raising the volume to get us excited. You know how that's, that's going to last at least until you're well, home in your car, I think. At least till lunch. That'll last. Maybe till tomorrow evening if you've done really well. Friends, it's not human boldness. It's not religious boldness. It's not like, yes, we're going to do it, guys. It has to come from Jesus. It has to come from who he is. And just lastly, it's when the mission of Jesus becomes critical. What do they say? Listen, you guys telling us to shut up, you make a decision whether you think that's wise or not in the eyes of God. But for me, Peter and John says, we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. A bold life is when I say God's outcomes are more important than my comfort or my stability or my safety. Can I just speak to the men for a second? Men, what do you want to be remembered for in this life? What is it that you want to be remembered for by those that are closest to you? Your kids, your colleagues, your friends and family members. What is the thing that you want people to associate with you? Because God has a bold vision over your life. He has gifted you and called you. He loves you. He sees you as his beloved in whom he is well pleased, but he has called you not to timidity, not to a, you know, it used to be great. He's calling you to a decade in, decade out, bold faith. So let's just close today. My friend said my greatest fear is that I would one day say, man, the good old days of my bold faith, but it's done. And I just have this caution in my heart this morning that you would say, man, I see Peter and I see John. I see stories of men who sing in front of the church and I hear of people that give their cars away and I, and I see things and guess what? It's not me. It's just not me. And I want to say God agrees because God does not want you to be Peter or John. He doesn't want me to be you. He wants you to be the boldest version of what he has called you to be. Do you know that God has a vision in his heart from eternity past about what your life would look like if you fully surrendered it to Jesus?